Blatant lies. <laughs> All right, perfect. So I occasionally pick up hitchhikers. I'm serious. <laughs> I knew I'd get that reaction. Uh, some of you, oh, what? Other one's like, oh, he's, he's funny. No, I, I occasionally pick up hitchhikers. Um, I don't know when I started, but it's like I see somebody on the side of the road and jump in the car. Um, one such time, I'm driving home. Um, I, I grew up in Ohio, so it's about a 600-mile drive home um, from New Jersey to there. All on Route 80 until, on, on Highway 80 until you get actually into Toledo where I live, grew up in the city. And so one day I'm driving back and I usually drive back at night. Um, less traffic, uh, you know, less cops, you know, just a couple of semis <laughs> and, uh, and you go. And so a, a lot of times I'll eat dinner and then I'll leave and it's an eight, nine hour trip. And so, you know, I'll, occasionally I end up showing up at three, four o'clock in the morning. Uh, and so on one such trip, just as I get into uh, Toledo, it was just like this heavy downpouring rain where you can barely see. And I, I get off the highway, and my house is only a, two miles from the highway. And so I get off, and I'm, I'm right about there, and there's this guy standing on the corner. Um, and he's not hitchhiking, but I'm like, boy, he is just getting drenched. And he's like starting to cross uh, kind of a busy road. So I roll down my window and I say, hey, you need a ride. Mind you, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> he said, yeah. So he jumps in my car and I, I take him to where he needs to go. Mind you, now, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, I went to probably the worst neighborhood in all of Toledo. Uh, and I live in a pretty bad neighborhood. And this got me, like, locking my doors uh, and uh, when he got out, I'm like, I'm going to be fine to get out of here, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, no problem, man. You, you did good. And so I, I left. And so I came back, and I told the family from the church what I had done. Um, and I got chewed out uh, by, by this woman. Uh, doesn't go here anymore. So uh, just so you know. And maybe some of you would chew me out as well, so I'm not advocating to any students or anyone else to pick up hitchhikers, especially in the no-hitchhiker zone, you know. Usually that means there's a prison right next door. Um, but, you know, she started saying, like, how could you do that? You don't know who this guy is. You know, you're trusting him with your life. Uh, you know, he could kill you. He could be an axe murderer. And I'm like, well, I'm still here. Um, but she went on and on how I can't trust this guy. Um, and I think that is kind of prevalent, especially in our area, is this uh, kind of suspicious of people, uh, untrustworthy of people, not wanting to put a lot of faith in people. I had two friends that after college, they hitchhiked across America from Connecticut to San Diego. Um, not maybe the smartest idea, but... Um, and we would kind of watch them as they'd go across the country. They're posting all the Facebook and videos and the riding like in p weird people's cars in the back of pickup trucks. And one uh, family that picks them up like out in, I don't know, Iowa or Kansas, you know, one of those states, they're all the same kind of... Uh, <laughs> Sorry if you're from there. Um, there's not much there. And they pick them up. They're talking to them. They take the kid. 
they take the two guys to their kids' t-ball game and then take them out to dinner afterwards. Another guy just later on in the trip, they have pictures sitting on his porch, this 85-year-old man singing hymns to him. Like, swing low, swing high. And they're, I don't know if that's the words, but whatever it was, it was hysterical. And then they slept out in his barn uh, that night. And so, you know, as we're watching, I mean, everybody's kind of following this, all of our friends. And then as they came back, I was talking, I was like, man, that is so cool, like, you know, and, and hearing about it. They said, yeah, you know what the hardest part was? They said, anytime we got close to a city, or when we were on the East Coast, nobody wanted to pick us up. And so when you're hitchhiking, they had bought like a ticket for, I don't know, a couple weeks after the start to fly home. And so they had to make it in a certain time. And they said they would be walking for miles and miles and car after car would pass them by. Why? Well, they were two college-age guys, kind of maybe a little sketchy looking, you know, like I'm not trusting these guys to get in my car. But once they got into the middle of the country, all of a sudden something changed and people were, I don't know, a little more trusting, a little more uh, like, you know, you're going to be okay, you're not going to hurt us and, and we'll pick you up. And if you have maybe transplanted, transplanted from another area, especially the Midwest, not that I'm praising the Midwest, but it's a very different culture in that, maybe from the South as well, in that it's you know, you're not as suspicious of people. You don't think everyone has this ulterior motive, like to get you somehow, like it's out here. You guys think, oh, we don't, we're not like, trust me, you are. Ask somebody that's not from here, and you feel it right away that you're a little leery of people. You're, maybe it's because you're smarter or something, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, you hold people off a little bit. You don't put your faith in them right away. Like, uh, I'm not sure. And I would say that's for good reason, because for most of us, even coming from the Midwest, at some point we have been hurt by somebody, right? We have been burned by them. They have broke a promise. Uh, They have someone maybe that we we really trusted in, that, that we gave a lot of respect to. All of a sudden, we realized, you know, they hurt us. Maybe I shouldn't have trusted them. And so we start to kind of put up these walls because of maybe some of the scars that have, have been made because of that. And you see this all the time. So I'm, like most of you, when you're online, do you ever start going like in tangents? And then before you know, you're like, how did I get here? Well, it was one of those days, and I'm going through, and I end up on this website. Uh, I'm not going to get into any kind of political debate. But it, <laughs> the website was the Obama like promise meter. You can go Google it. I won't tell you what uh, party uh, supported the website, but they had all of his promises that he made and how well he was keeping each one with like a, like a smiley face of him as it goes across and as he got closer to finishing it would be green. And so they had like everyone in red because um, he's broken every promise. Uh, at least that was, that's what they said. Maybe some of you are like, oh, yes. Totally agree. Um, But we see that kind of, that's typical for politicians, right? We kind of almost expect it. Like, oh, politicians are going to lie to us. Uh, You know, they're not going to tell us the truth. Uh, They're going to break promises. Um, But 
you also see that then in the Christian realm, right? We have these high-profiled Christian leaders that we hold up in, like, high esteem, right? And then all of a sudden, they have this huge, like, moral failing. And we're like, I trusted what you said. I believed what you said. And look at what you were doing behind my back. I think the most we, or, or kind of the deepest scars we get from this is when it happens kind of in our family. Like when maybe a mother or a father breaks your trust. Some of you had that. Maybe it's the kids, the opposite way around. Um, maybe it's your siblings. Uh, maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend. But the worst is probably, right, a husband and a wife. That when those promises are broken, when that covenant is broken, there is such an immense amount of pain, right? I know some of you guys have experienced that. That's like, how can I recover from this? How can I put my trust in someone again? How can I put my faith in someone again? They're only going to hurt me. And so then the question I have for you is does that attitude spill over into your spiritual life? If you think it doesn't, you're wrong. It does. It starts to affect how we look at God. When everybody in authority we feel like has this hidden agenda that they're going to break our promises, that they're going to hurt us, all of a sudden we start putting sometimes even if it's not consciously, but subconsciously, we start putting that on God, right? That maybe God isn't going to keep his word either. Maybe God is going to hurt me like my parents did. Maybe God is going to break his covenant like my wife or husband did. This is what we're up against. And so I just want to kind of make you aware of that, that So often in our lives, the things uh, that happen to us here in the physical realm do affect our spiritual life. And if we don't realize that, look at that, kind of own it, saying, I know I put some of this stuff on God and it's not right, and try to break that, you will be forever living in a cycle, right, that is putting what fallen people do to you onto God. I do that. I do that especially with my parents. Not that my parents weren't amazing, but their failings, failings, so often I put back onto God when that is nothing like God is. So we're going to talk about faith this morning, um, obviously. And the one thing I want to make sure that I do as we talk about this is... Faith is used like hundreds of times in the Bible, right? We use it all the time, and there can be a lot of meanings behind it. So I'm going to give you some of the, this is not what we're talking about, so you understand what we are talking about, okay? When we're talking about faith this morning, I'm not talking about a saving faith, okay? I'm not talking like, for it has been grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourself, it is a gift of God, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Okay, we're talking about, we're not talking about this idea of the initial faith that you have, then that results in conversion, right? 
in this, in this saving power of God. This initial, I have faith that you are who you said you are. I believe it, right? And I'm saved. I'm not talking about that faith. I'm also not talking about the faith sometimes we get labeled as, like, oh, you're a person of faith, right? Or you belong, you belong to the faith. I mean, that's used in the Bible, too. In Galatians, you have, As we have therefore every opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Kind of talking about a group, right? You, we are a faith community, right? Um, you know, that's, oh, you have, you have faith. Um, so this isn't the faith I'm talking about, like a group that believes the same thing. I'm not talking about that. I'm also not talking about uh, faith as a spiritual gift. This is uh, the only fruit that transfers over to a spiritual gift. See, a spiritual gift is something that God gives you, okay, but doesn't give everybody, right? Doesn't give the same ones to everyone. Doesn't even give it like if you hit this maturity, you get this gift, right? That's not how it works. In fact, let me read you. Um, in 1 Corinthians 2, 8 and 11, it says this, For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, and to another faith. All these are the work of the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one, just as He determines. Okay? So, a gift of the Spirit is different than the fruit of the Spirit. A gift is something that is given Maybe for a short time, maybe for a long time. Maybe you have that gift your entire life. Maybe you only have it for a season and it changes. And it's usually given for a specific reason for your life. Okay, the difference then with the fruit is that when we talk about, sometimes I even, I even say it, and I talked about this last night with someone, I say fruits of the Spirit, we're really talking about one fruit. The fruit that is produced by God. Okay? And the only way that is produced, like our beautiful illustration shows, is when we stay connected to Christ. When we abide in Him, right? We talked about that the opening week. You must abide. And if you abide, connect, stay with Him, the fruit will be produced. And if you don't, this is what happens. The beautiful, did you guys see this last week? We cut this off, what, eight weeks ago now? Nothing has been showing, but the root's still in there. It's still producing. The branch is getting nothing. It's cut itself off. It's dead. It's dying. We can spice it up all we want, try to hang some fake fruit, make it look good, but it's not connected. What is connected? It's awesome. It's still producing. Like, to me, that was so cool that, like, God is still producing despite, like, for me, this is an illustration. I'm cut off. If I'm cut off, I'm not. But he's still working. He's producing. And so a fruit, then, takes time, right? We've talked about this every week. It takes a long time. It starts slowly, right? We're seeds of change. Or, you know, the gift is kind of instantaneously, so I'm not talking about this instantaneous faith, um, but I'm talking about now this faith that kind of grows slowly like these figs are doing, okay? 
Now, I've given you, stay with me, I've given you a lot of Greek every time I've talked and I figure I should keep going because what has been made abundantly clear to me can constantly and consistently, consistently is that because of who God is affects everything that he produces. Would you agree with me? Because of who God is, it will affect what is being produced because it's coming out of him. Okay? So we get, right, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. We talked about last week. And then we get faithfulness. Now, faithfulness, the word used is, um, got to be careful, uh, is pistis. Um, and that is a noun, okay? And let me read you a couple definitions of it. It is the confidence to believe, to believe in divine truth that results in assurance. Firm persuasion, a conviction based upon hearing. Another way of putting it, a firm conviction producing a full acknowledgement of God's revelation or truth. Pistis is this uh, confidence to believe what is said, what is out there, to believe God. There's also, an, the, the adverb of that is pistos. Uh, I, I was in like, I don't know, third grade. I was homeschooled uh, for a while. And so I was not overly sheltered, but a little sheltered. And I was hanging out with some buddies who weren't sheltered. Uh, and I come home after hearing what one of them said, and uh, something upset me. And I said to my mom, oh, I'm really pissed off. She goes, watch your mouth. That's not something we say in this house. And so every time I'm saying this, I just keep hearing her like me trying to say pissed off without saying pissed off and getting yelled at. Um, see, I say those things because now you'll always remember that word, uh, especially when you are pissed off. Um, so this, this adverb now we have that's a little different. Let me read you the definition for this. And you, I want you to understand this because this will affect where we go. One writer wrote it this way. Pistos is indeed a great word. It describes the man on whose faithful service we may rely, on whose loyalty we may depend, and on whose word we can wholly accept. It is a person who shows himself faithful in the transactions of a business, the executions of commands, or the discharge of official duties. Pistos is this idea that I'll do what I, I'll do what I'll, I said I'll do. That I am going to follow out or follow through with my word, that you can rely on me, someone that can be reliable. For any of you that are probably bosses, right? Having someone that is reliable, right? A high quality to look for, in a, right? This is the idea that they are kind of who they say they are, that they will follow through, that they are not going to tell you one thing and do another. And you know how pistos is used over and over and over again? It's used for God over and over and over again. Darren, would you put up the Deuteronomy scripture? 
Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful one, pistos, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. He is the faithful one who keeps his covenant, who keeps his promises to a thousand generations. And if I was going to read you every scripture where it says God is faithful or God will follow through on his word or God always answers his promises, we would be here all day. But we're going to do a little interaction. Some of you are very nervous right now. If you want to reach under your seat, some of you have some papers would you reach under? Everybody's got to do it. Because if you don't find it, then I'm, I'm in trouble. If you have an open seat next to you, put a hand under there. If you find it, pull it off. I got one, two, three, four. Nick, would you come up? If you are terrified of public speaking, hand your paper to your left now. If the person that just received the paper is terrified of public speaking, hand it to your right. <laughs> Here's what I want we're going to do. I want to make sure you understand that God is faithful. Over and over, Scripture, scripture says it. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is pistos. See? See? See where you can go with that? Okay, so if you have that paper, would you stand up right now? I know I'm terrifying some of you. It's okay. Nick is going to come over and going to hand the mic to you. If you have that, would you just read it and then sit down? Read it nice and loud and clear so that we can all hear. And we're going to hear about how God is faithful because part of coming to a faith community, right, is to be encouraged about our relationship with God and who God is by the people around us, not just John or I or whoever's up front. So would you read that to encourage your brother, your sister in Christ about who God is? Nick, you want to start handing those out or hand it out? Numbers 23:19 God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should change his mind does he speak and then not act does he promise and not fulfill Isaiah 54:10 Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed Yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Isaiah 25.10 Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness you have done marvelous things, things planned long ago. 
First Corinthians 10:13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. First Thessalonians 5:23 to 24. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls us calls, calls you is faithful and he will do it. Lamentations 3:22 to 24. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. <clears throat> Hebrews ten twenty three, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 105.8, he remembers his covenant forever, the word he commanded for a thousand generations. Psalm 119.89.90, your word, O Lord, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all the generations. You establish the earth, and it endures. Two Corinthians one twenty. for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Give them a hand for uh, reading. God is faithful. Over and over you can read throughout scripture, scripture about his faithfulness. I love the last one that was read. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. God will fulfill his promises. God is trustworthy. He is someone that can be relied upon. If you start to grasp that, if you start to understand that concept, that starts to change how you think about him. It changes how you think about anybody. If you know that person will keep their word to the bitter end, no matter what, right? You can ask them anything. You can say, I need help here. You know they will follow through on what they'll say they'll do. The opposite, though, is true of us. Is And we won't, don't worry, we're not going to read all the scriptures about how we are unfaithful. Uh, but there are just as many while God is pistos, we are not. We are often faithless. We, are often, we often break the covenant. 
The best story of that, I think, is the minor prophet Hosea. Right? Many of you guys know this, right? Hosea is a minor prophet. Just means that his book was small. Um, and that he was around, I think, the 8th century. And let's read, I want to read a couple of verses about who he was and what he was doing. Darren, do you want to put that first one up? Chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomar, daughter of Deblain, and she conceived and bore him a son. Hosea is called by God as a prophet to speak to be the mouthpiece of God and to speak on his behalf. And here's what God has him do. I'm glad I'm not called to this. He says, I want to give a great illustration. Better than these fig trees. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go marry a prostitute. Someone who will be unfaithful to you. Because this is what my people have been to me. They have been adulterers. And so we have Hosea who goes out and finds this woman who is a prostitute and she starts to have children. But here's the crazy thing. It doesn't really say they're Hosea's children. Can you put that back up, Darren? Uh, next one. There we go. So he married Gomar, and she conceived and bore him a son. A theory behind that is that, right, they get married, and she is already unfaithful. They have children out of unfaithfulness. They're not even his children. He marries, you know, it's... <laughs> I was thinking of illustration. You know, it's not like the storybook, like Pretty Woman. Remember that movie? Okay, that's not, it's not this glamorous life. It's this probably beat up, broken down woman that is selling herself. He marries her and she instantaneously becomes unfaithful. She then ends up leaving his house and going back to her ways of prostitution after she has had three children. And then we get God calling Hosea again. Can you put the next part up? The Lord said to me, this is Hosea speaking now, Go, show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and they love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer of lithique of barley. Then I told her, You are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. Hosea goes back to the woman that he is already initially, okay, they get married, they make a covenant to one another, and she breaks it. And then God says, Go back to her. And he has to actually buy her back out of prostitution. This is 
what God is saying to the Israelites and to us. We are the unfaithful bride. You can read this story and kind of glance, wow, that's awful. Can you imagine if that was your spouse? For most of us, it's, okay, it's not, there's times that it's easy being married, you got to be careful, but there are times that it is very hard. And it is hard to keep the promises you have made. I'm going to be with you in sickness and in health, but what if that health, right, goes downhill? And now you are so sick that I'm going to have to take care of you for years and years. I know I said I would, but... For richer and poorer. Well, I said that when we were rich, right? And if poor, I thought maybe, you know, we'd have to downsize and have a five-bedroom house instead of a six. But what happens when you're living with your in-laws? Then do I want to stay with you? Right? Forsaking all others. But what if somebody is more attractive? They just understand me more. This is what God's saying to us. That's what, like, as I was thinking about this, you know, I am the unfaithful one. God is always faithful. I am the unfaithful one. You know, we, we often don't think about like, can I break God's heart? Through my actions, do I break his heart? I know if my wife did what was happened in Hosea, my heart would be devastated. I would be a mess. Yet God remains faithful, even when we're not. I'm going to do something that uh, might challenge some of you, but I really felt like I was supposed to do this. I called Tim last night because I was playing it last night, and I want you to listen to this song. Um, and in it, I see the story of Hosea, the story of us and God, the story that we are his bride, that he talks about the love for us, and how he has covenant with us, and how yet we break it. Darren, would you uh, get that up and play that? We're going to put the words on the screen. I would challenge you, if you don't sit around and meditate on music, I'm not saying you need to go do that. But would you enter in for just four minutes and think about this in the context of the story of Hosea and the story of you and God. That God is faithful and loves you despite our unloving and unfaithful nature.
pain that Hosea would have felt over this? Can you imagine the pain that God feels over us? Yet despite all of that, our unfaithfulness, he remains faithful. He is the one that is, right? Come back. Come back. I want to close with this verse. Um, If you put up the 2 Timothy one. 2 Timothy 2.13 For if we are faithless, he will remain faithful. For he cannot disown himself. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful. For he cannot disown himself. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny who he is. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot contradict himself. He cannot renounce himself. He cannot be untrue to himself. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. That's who he is. He cannot change. This is why faith can grow when you stay connected to the faithful one. He is the one that is faithful, and because of that, when you stay connected to him and start to learn who he is, abide in him, attach to him, you will go, this is somebody I can have faith in. As we've encouraged you all summer, If you want to have faith, connect to the root. If you need more faith in your life, connect to who God is. Because God is faithful. And it will produce a faith in you. The band's going to come up um, and play. Faith is a tricky thing, right? Faith is something that sometimes we have so much of it and then something rocks our world and it seems like all I can do is doubt. I know I've been there several times. But what I keep coming back to is focusing on who God is, staying connected to Him, Because he is faithful. His promises are always yes in Christ Jesus. Right? The verses that we always hold on to. He has a plan for you, right? He has promises given to you. He does not go back on his word. Even when we are so unfaithful, he is the faithful one. So we're going to end kind of singing that, proclaiming that. So I'd I'd encourage you as, as we sing this that you would really sing that to him. That you are faithful. And understand what just an immense blessing that is to have a God that is never changing. That I can rely on. That despite how many times I've been hurt down here, that's not him.